We are a band of brothers, diverse yet unified, aligned to pursue the truth, resolute in our commitment. We are stronger together, and you are one of us. This is the Brotherhood Podcast. Brothers, welcome to the podcast. Today we get to tune in and listen to our March breakfast with Gabe George. Let's tune in and listen to his message to the Brotherhood. Good morning. That was terrible, but it's early, so I'm not going to ask you to repeat it. Middle of my eighth grade year, we switched schools and uh, went to a little school down the street called Wright Christian Academy. And uh, not a big school, but uh, what we learned real quick was that they were phenomenal at basketball. And ball was our sport. My brother and I, it was a sport we played and practiced and all the time, and, and we were all right at it, and we go to the school, and we start to watch them play, and we realize that they're incredibly good, incredibly good, and we switched in the middle of the year, so it was right in the middle of basketball season, and uh, I, it was too late to be on the team, uh, but I had aspirations of being on the team, and so, uh, you know, went to the school the rest of the year, and then, and then summer hit, and then we come back in, and in basketball conditioning started early there at Wright. And, and I had these ideas and imaginations of making the team, but the team was incredibly good, incredibly good. I had great athletes, and they had a lot of upperclassmen and uh, guys significant, with significant height. And, and I, I, I thought my chances of actually making the team were probably small, but there was a JV team. And really what I wanted to do is I just wanted to not look like an idiot. And it was a new school and a new surrounding and uh, it's pretty intimidating, especially when you switch in the middle of the year. You're just trying to get acclimated. And, and so I remember going to one of the early practices in the fall. And um, the coach, who was sort of a surly veteran and, and didn't take a lot of time to affirm the younger guys, just kind of threw you into the mix, decided to have a competition at the end of the practice. And we had practiced for a couple hours, and we, he says, everyone circle around the free throw line. Get around the free throw line. And he said, now here's how this is going to work. We're going to shoot a free throw. You're going to go around, you're going to shoot one free throw. If you make it, you keep moving. If you miss it, you have to take off an article of clothing. So, you know, in 2022, you know, this guy's probably in jail, but back in the, you know, the 90s, it's no big deal. And so uh, he said, so if you miss your first shot, you take off your shoes. If you miss your second shot, you take off your socks. You miss your third shot, your, sh- your shirt. And, and then he just said, and so on. And so, you know, we all kind of look at each other and like, all right, <laughs> we're doing this. And I'm, I'm, I'm a freshman, but I'm, I'm 14 years old. I'm horrified. I'm not trying to look horrified, but I, I, in my body, I can feel it. I think, okay, there's probably 20-ish guys around this circle. And I just don't want to be the one, right? The one that just, that, that misses all his shots and ends up <laughs> naked here on the free throw line. That's just, that's, that's what I, my great desire. And so I'm feeling all that. And I'm also thinking, you know, I'm, I'm trying to impress this guy. At least, at least to some degree, I don't want to look stupid up here. I'm trying to fit in with the teammates. And, and at the time as a ninth grader, I, I wasn't as tall as I eventually got. And so I was a little softer and, and a little self-conscious about my body. And it's funny because I look back now at that, you know, ninth grade physique. And I think if I had that now, I'd be asking Borat to 
Sparrow's bathing suit. And if you need to know, just Google it right now. I give you permission. Get on your phone and Google Borat bathing suit. You're welcome. Uh, so, so we start going around the circle and it comes up to me and I get up there to shoot my first free throw. And if you've ever played basketball and you played basketball and in an angsty situation, you get that feeling in your arms where it's like they move, but they're kind of moving independent of your mind. And so you kind of go through the motion of shooting the shot. And I get up there and I go to shoot the shot. And my, it's, like I, it's like you're just so weak everywhere. You're just weak. And I shoot and I miss my shot. And I'm like, ah, no big deal. Other guys had missed the shot. And so I take off my shoes and I'm moving around the circle. Get up to shoot my second shot. Miss socks come off. And then at this point, I'm really nervous. And I'm just hoping that someone in front of me, and there's really no one in front of me further ahead than me because I had missed both and I was early in the line. And so I was going to be the, you know, as Johnny called me a pioneer, I was going to pioneer this movement. (laughs) And so I get up there for my third shot. And right before I shoot my third shot, all the cheerleaders walk into the room. (laughs) It was worst, just worst case scenario. Uh, for me. They all walk into the room and, and they sit there and they never did this, but they came in and they sat right there to observe us as if the devil had summoned them into the room just for me, just for me. And so they're sitting in there, all of them. And I'm thinking just, I don't, I cannot miss this next shot. The pressure is on and I get up and I'm, you know, I'm dribbling. And I'm like, come on arms. Like I want to, I want to be able to feel you like do this. You know how to shoot a basketball. I get up there and shoot and miss and strip off my shirt, and I'm self-conscious about that, but no big deal. I always kind of tell myself, and I tell my son this, he's here today, I say, hey, whenever you get in a position or situation where you're dealing with something that's embarrassing, if you act embarrassed, it's way worse for you. Just get in there and just, just, just freaking own it. Just own it. Act like this is not a big deal and step towards it, not away from it. So I go up there and I strip off my shirt and I'm going around the circle and I'm thinking... I, I really can't miss the next one, right? Like, it's just, it is, it's not an option. So we get up there and everyone's eyes are on me. Everyone, the, the cheerleaders, just the, 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 everyone. Just So I get up there, I'm dribbling. And I, I, you know, I wasn't much of a praying kid in those days, but surely I was, I was throwing some stuff up to the, the good Lord. And I, 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 I dribbled the ball a few times, go to shoot and miss. In that moment, and it was a split second, that thing of what do I do, how do I handle this? Everyone starts laughing when I miss, and my response is, you know what, if this is the game we're playing, then I'm gonna play it. And I grab my, my shorts, <laughs> this is real. I grab my shorts, and I just drop them to the ground as fast as I can. I'm wearing boxes, just drop my shorts. The coach runs up and goes, no, 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 it was a joke, it was a joke, it's too late. It's too late. <laughs> the cheerleaders fall like a Benny Hinn crusade (laughs) all the players they they they, everyone just like they go running around the gym and there I am I'm standing my my pant my my shorts are at my ankles and I just I like I pick them back up and it's just like you know I thought that was a game and I'm trying not to act like my life was ruined and, and it was, it was the, the, the sort of just like the accumulation of all the pressures. 
it was, it was way more than I could handle. I, uh, consequently, a little side note, uh, that move didn't, hu- didn't hurt me with the ladies. Uh, it actually helped my game. There were too many things, too many things working against me. My coach, new school, this is my sport, I want to play it, I want to be on the team. I got girls in the room, I'm self-conscious about my body, and the pressure mounted to the point where there was a collapse, an accumulation of pressure. It's what I want to talk to you about, the accumulation of pressure. Men, we deal with tremendous amounts of pressure. It's relative to each person, but the conversations I have with people and the life that I've lived, I've realized that how I handle pressure as a man has a significant impact on the life that I live and the, how the life that I'm living affects those around me. Several years ago, I was in the car with my dad, and if you don't know my dad, he, he built all this place by himself uh, from scratch and uh, did a lot, you know, did a lot is still doing a lot. And uh, I asked him one time in the car, I said, Dad, if you could go back, if you could go back and if you could tell young Willie George anything, what would you say? And he sat there and he thought about it for a second. He said, you know what? If I could go back, I would tell myself to relax. He said, there was just a lot of pressure. And, and I would go back and I would say, it's gonna be Okay. It's going to be okay. God's good. God's with you. It's going to work out. Calm down. Don't worry about it so much. And in hindsight, that's not a difficult thing to do. We all look back at things in our lives that were pressure cookers, and and it's not difficult to look back and, and, and just say, you know what, it was no big deal, or maybe it was a big deal, but I would have handled it differently. And the accumulation of pressure is a challenge. Pressure is not a bad thing. Pressure's not a bad thing. I, 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 you know, there's probably a, a deeper explanation than this, but I see pressure as just kind of your responsibilities or expectations, whether they're internal expectations or external expectations. They come from you. They come from the people you love. They come from society or culture or whatever. All these things are kind of there and they're present, and that's good because if, if it weren't for pressure of some kind, then, then, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do much of anything. I think a lot of the time we would kind of stay put. We wouldn't work as hard as we need to work. We wouldn't be here at 6.45 in the morning. There are a lot of things that we wouldn't do. It's the pressure of life. It's the expectation or our responsibility that oftentimes drives us to, to, to succeed or thrive or at least to keep going. And there are varying levels of how we experience that pressure. But then there are times where there's an accumulation of it. And that accumulation becomes somewhat overwhelming. It's like a balloon that is getting too much air. And you all know how it feels. It's just like, forgive me or forgive him. He's under a lot of pressure. And we all do things at times to relieve the pressure. We have little things, because we experience it all the time. I I was driving in this morning. I, I live an hour away. And I was driving in this morning, and I I hadn't paid attention to the gas. I don't know why, but I got gas yesterday, and I got gas the day before, and I got gas the day before that because I live an hour away. And I drive in two times a day 
into Tulsa back and into Tulsa and back, at least that. And I'm driving by and I see that gas has jumped up another 20 cents. And that, it's funny, pressure's present, you feel it. We, we grow accustomed to it, but it's like a, a bit more air gets put into the balloon. And I see it, and, and, and really, subconsciously, my mind starts going to, all right, how much is this going to cost? How much is this? What's going to happen? What if it goes to $5 a gallon? Do we, do, you know, I, I, I live like 15 minutes from Kansas. This seems like a fail. Uh, you know, maybe we need to figure out how we, and just my mind just starts going really quick, really quick, really quick. And so I start to feel it in my body, just like standing on that free throw line. It's just that accumulation of pressure and just little bits. And then you learn how to kind of turn it down a little bit, let a little air out. All right, it's okay. I've been here before, that kind of thing. But I, I, I'm kind of amazed as I was preparing this message, how much of the day you experience this, this, these, this the, 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 the heat gets turned up on you and you feel it financially. I thought about just turning this only into a talk of financial pressure because I find that financial pressure is prevalent in every single person and drives us more than we realize in a lot of different ways. There's work pressure, there's familial pressure, there's pressure on you if you're a parent to be a parent, especially if you have a son because your son is a direct reflection of you. And if you find out that something isn't great with your child, how does that make you feel? What does that do? What, is that, what kind of pressure does that put on you? There's pressure as a husband to provide, to lead, to put your wife and your family in the best possible space. There's pressure to be romantic. Thank God we're out of February. I hate February. It's just the worst. And Nicholas Sparks is not making it better for any of us. He has like years to sit and think of the most romantic situation of all time, and then he writes about it, and then your wife reads it, and then you're screwed. <laughs> there are all just different kinds of pressure, and, and, and some of it is just, again, it just comes up a little bit, and then it goes down, but sometimes it comes up real high. And oftentimes I find that that's unforeseen. There's an unforeseen financial need. Maybe your wife sits down and talks to you about your marriage and you thought that it was going all right, but turns out it's not going as good as you thought. And there's, there's, a, there's a, a missed expectation of where she thought we were all going to be by now. And that is directly reflected on you, even though she says, no, it's not. This isn't, I'm just talking to you. It's like, yes, but do you realize I'm the one responsible for all of this? At least it feels that way. The pressure gets turned up. And in those moments, we do what we can to release the pressure. At least we try to release the pressure. And people relieve pressure in a lot of different ways. Some people go to the gym. That seems like it would be the best solution for all of us. I could use that. I, I should probably go to the gym more whenever I feel pressure. Some people eat when they feel pressure. Some people just sort of escape into entertainment. Pornography is a, a big one for, for, for men when you feel pressure low-line ways of like, all right, how do I deal with this? How do I relieve it? I've got to relieve it a little bit. And it really doesn't relieve the pressure. It doesn't in any way change the circumstance. All it does is just allow you to ignore it, not pay attention to it for a short bit. Maybe calm down, let your emotions calm down a little bit, which can be helpful if you're relieving the pressure in a good way. But the accumulation of pressure is a challenge and we're meant to handle it. Handle the pressure. My favorite athlete's Michael Jordan in large part because 
I never saw anyone handle pressure like that. And that was the thing that I marveled at. And it's whether you're a Jordan fan or a Brady fan, it, it's hard not to watch that. And as a man go, just it's so boss to stand on that stage and handle the pressure. And especially whenever it gets to the end of a game and you just kind of know if the ball is in their hands, they're gonna handle the pressure. They may not always win, but you just think the odds are they're going to. And you kind of grow up with that. And as a man, you grow up with that and you watch it and you see it and it just feels like, especially for us, there's, this, there's a pressure to handle it well to handle life well and to thrive in it. I mean, for me, growing up, the son of Willie George, I watched him do things and there were a lot of things that he experienced that I didn't really know, but from my vantage point, he was just a beast at handling the pressure. And I have a question for you. It is, how do you handle it? I, want, I just want you to think about it. What do you do? What's your tendency? Where do you go whenever the heat gets turned up? And the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about, I believe he's talking about pressure. He says this in Matthew 7. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a fool. He built his house on sand. The rain came, streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. In this story, you have two builders. You have two homes. You have two foundations and one set of circumstances. The house is your life. You're the builder. The foundation is either sand, which is you, or Jesus, which is the rock. The wind, the storm, the rain, that's pressure. That's the accumulation of responsibility, expectation, things that we're meant to do, things that are coming against us to propel us into a particular direction, things we feel and we have to, we have to rise to the occasion or they produce a deficit in us. And it doesn't say that a tsunami came through. Jesus says that there is a storm and it's not a storm that would destroy everything in its path because one house stood and one fell. But the foundation of sand is a house, a life built on you. And I don't think of this as much as just me and my desires. I think of it as me and what I am meant to do, how I am meant to handle it. And the weight of it is on me. Whenever I was seven years old, I've told this story before, and it is, it, it's important. It's important because it, it, I find that there's a commonality in it. Maybe not everyone has the same story, but, but I, I do find that there is common ground and I share it because yeah, it's my life. It's part of my life. It, 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 it has been something that God has used in a great way, and I'm thankful for it. Wouldn't go back and change it now. But when I was seven years old, I was exposed to pornography, hardcore pornography. And what it did is it produced shame in me. And it was a shame that kept growing. I couldn't see it. 
I could feel it. I felt it all the time. I felt it every night. I felt it laying down. I would always pray as I would go to bed, God, forgive me. I thought I was going to hell. I thought there's a good chance I'm going to hell. How could I not be going to hell? And this feeling of shame plagued me as a kid, as a teenager, as a young man. And what it did is it made me build my house on me. And it, it wasn't so much that I had this, I had all these, like, uh, like I, I, I was so rebellious and that my desires were going to drive me and I didn't care about doing things right. All I wanted to do was do it right. But I just couldn't seem to figure out how to do it right. And what it did, that shame turned my gaze inward to where I only looked at me. And it was a false humility. It was just a, a, a woe is me that I lived with for so long. I know that a lot of you live with this. It's become so much a fabric of your, your psyche that you maybe don't even realize it, but that your default is to be self-deprecating or to feel like I can't, I won't. It just, maybe you don't talk about it much, but you just sort of live with this thing. And my house, my life, little by little was built not on anything firm, but it was built on sand. It was built on me because my ability to handle it was hinging on me and only me. And so therefore, there were a lot of things that I couldn't figure out. There were a lot of things I couldn't overcome. And it wasn't just sin. It was just little things in life. It, it, it produced a response in me that whenever pressure would rise, I would have to relieve the pressure or find a way to ignore it. And some things I would just straight up abdicate. Some things it would, it would get to a point where I would just go, you know what, I, 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 would, I would sort of build a belief structure around my weakness. Like, how do I see success or how do I see thriving and being financially sustainable, whatever? It would just be like, no, nah, I, I, I'm not gonna... I, 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 that's not for me. Why? Because I just feel like that the pressure gets too great on me and, and I have to find a way out of it. And so for years, my response was pornography for years. And it, I found that it was less about the desire to lust way more about, I need a break. I need an escape. I know a lot of you in this room, or at least some of you in this room, this is your story. This is your now. Statistics don't lie. And I'm not in here to beat you up. I am here to tell you that that can stop today. My house was built on me. Circumstances would come up. The pressure would get too great. And Jesus says it's wind, it's rain, it's rising seas. It's accumulation of pressure that comes up and there's a collapse. And it isn't just your whole life breaks apart, but internally there are collapses. There were minor collapses in my marriage. There were minor collapses with my children. There were collapses at work. There were collapses in how I followed vision and purpose. Just lots of little collapses. But there came a point where something changed for me. Years ago, I was reading my Bible. I was going through a reading plan. And I had, I read my Bible my whole life. At least a lot of my life, I read my Bible. I'd pick it up, I'd read it, a chapter just felt like pulling teeth. 
Like I sit down and as soon as I sit down reading this book, my, it's like my, my, my skin starts to not crawl, but it's like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to sit still. I, I, I'm reading this, but there was a disconnect between the words on this page and how it was affecting my life. And I'd hear people talk about the power of the word of God, but I was having a hard time understanding that. I was having a hard time experiencing it. And I had experienced it in ways. It wasn't as if I was just living like the devil, pretending and playing a game. God was doing things in my life. That's the thing about God. Just know this. Insert that God is faithful to you right now. Even when you feel like you're not moving as fast as you need to, he began a good work in you. He will bring it to completion. He will bring it to completion. But that is not just for you to go, all right, good, I'm good, it's done. I don't have to try anymore. But Jesus is faithful to you even when you're unfaithful. But I started reading this and I thought, you know what, it's the beginning of a year, I'm gonna read the Bible. I'd heard about people who read the Bible in a year and I thought that sounds like, that sounds like a lot of vegetables, uh, but I'm gonna give it a shot, you know? And so I picked up the Bible and I'm in Genesis and I get to Genesis 4. I'll read this to you. This is what I read and this is what, this is what in many ways changed my life. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Now Abel cut, kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some, everyone say some, some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn, say firstborn, firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. When I read that, in my heart I heard, you are Cain. You are Cain. You don't hear a lot of preachers preaching like, <laughs> we're all Joseph, we're all David, no one's Cain. The Lord's like, you're Cain. It wasn't mean, it didn't make me feel condemned. It was love. He said, you're bringing what you want to bring to me. And you're mad at me because I'm not doing in your life what you think I should be doing. See, I cried out many times to God, God, save me, God, help me, God, make this stop. But I was Cain. I'm bringing some to the Lord as an act of worship, just some, my little bit. I begrudgingly would read a little bit of the Bible and then I would get mad that later that night I'd look at pornography. I think I'm doing it, I'm trying. I mean, I'm, I'm praying sort of, you know, and then I'm reading my Bible and I read that chapter and my life isn't changing and I'm stuck and I don't get it and I've been stuck for so long and it's making me sick and I don't know how to stand up and I get mad at God if I was honest. But the Lord said, you're bringing me a little. Abel brought the first. He brought his best. And in that moment, something changed for me. I decided that I was going to be a true worshiper of God. 
meaning that he would be my focus, not me. I decided that I would get up and that I would spend time reading this book. I decided that I would pray, that I would truly pray, that I would sit with the Lord. I'd be still. I'm giving God the little bit of time that I want to. That's got to change. If I want to see change in my life, I'm going to sit and be still in the presence of God. And it wasn't for hours and hours and hours, but it was a lot more time than I had been given him, and it was consistent. And in the book of James, this is... The scripture that I felt like I should read to you concerning this, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. I know that there are guys in this room who the life that you're building is built on you. It does not mean that you do not believe in God. It does not mean that you do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, but the pressure is on you. The things in this world, your desires, your responsibilities, your expectations, they largely fall to you. How do you know? Well, when the rain comes, when the wind blows and the water rises, where do you run? What is your response? Is it to handle it or to hand it? Because we're not meant to do this on our own. You are not equipped to carry the weight. You are not equipped to be your own foundation. I came in here to relay a very, very simple truth, one that you know, I'm sure. But I am praying that the revelation of hearing it today will produce a new thing in your life, new victory like never before. That instead of getting tips on how to succeed, it's humble yourself. Humble yourself. When the pressure comes, humble yourself. Whenever you're just going about a normal day, humble yourself. Go to God, don't go to you. This last year, and this is, I'll close with this, this last year, actually in November 2020, I had a conversation with my brother, great conversation, it was good, it was good. I said, you know what, man, I feel like that God is calling us out, calling us out, that there's a grace that I'm not feeling, and, I, and he wasn't either, and it wasn't bad. It just, this is how God moves. He puts you in situations, and sometimes you're meant to move on, and that's okay. Sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it's difficult. But this one was easy, difficult, or not difficult at all. In fact, it was, I, I felt great about it. Stepped out, thought, all right, God's got some things he's put in my heart to do. We're gonna go do that. We're gonna do it quick. I felt like God was moving quick. The, the, the sense in my spirit to step out was quick. And I thought, well, that was an indicator of how quickly God was gonna move on our behalf. That was November of 2020. We were, at the time, we were homeless just because we had had a lease house and the lease was up on that house. And so that coincided with this decision to step out of the church. They were coming together. It felt like the timing of the Lord. 
And it was like, all right, so if our lease is up and if I'm not at, 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 you know, working at the church, then I doubt I live in Tulsa because I'm certainly not going to live in the city and work for another church and, and ministry is who I am. And so uh, we'll probably live somewhere else. And so I don't want to sign a lease right now. And I had some conversations with different churches and some things that were happening. And so I thought, well, we'll just sit tight. November turned into December. December turned into January. January turned into February, February to March, March, April, and all the way to November of last year. Never in my wildest imagination did I think when we stepped out that we would be stepping out for a year. I had some money saved, but not enough to live a year. My money ran out in like March. <laughs> I thought God was going to move before that, but I got a sense when I stepped out in November. It was very strong. God did not tell me, hey, it's going to be a year. I'm really glad he didn't. It would have been really difficult to hear and I would have panicked, but he just said, you live by faith, meaning you come to me. You come to me. When you feel pressure, you come to me. You don't vomit on your family. You don't vent. You don't medicate through entertainment. Don't overeat. You come to me. And in November, that was an easy yes. But as the days and weeks moved on, it became more and more difficult. But I made the decision before God that when the pressure came, when the wind blew, I was going to go to him. And that's exactly what I did. Every single time I would feel the pressure, I would speak the word of God. I would speak the word of God, quote the word of God, I would go into closets, I would cry out to God, I would cry to God, but I made sure I did it to God. There were a lot of times, a lot of days where about five, six, seven times a day, I'd be like, hang on, I'll be right back. And I'd go into my closet and close the door. No one knew I was in there and I would just weep. And I would say to the Lord, Lord, I know you see me. I would quote the word. I know you see me. I know you're my provider and I depend on you and I would feel the angst and I would take my anxiety and the pressure and I would judge it. I would hear the Lord say, what did I tell you in my book? What did I tell you? I said, I would provide for you. Then why are you afraid? If you believe it, then why do you feel fear? What, why are you dealing with this? I said, well, it's, I, I can't always help what I feel, but I can help what I do with what I feel. And so I took my feeling to the Lord again and again and again and again and again. And little by little by little, every single time, every single time we got in a pinch and really we lived in a pinch. And it wasn't that we couldn't live well. We lived in Airbnbs, we, which are not smart if you're doing it long term, but it was the leading I had, keep doing it. And so we're paying way more to live than I wanted to, but God kept providing. And none of it was from, I say none of it, it wasn't church on the move doing it, and it wasn't my family doing it. It was the Lord doing it all these different ways. And he would let me walk to the edge of the cliff every month, every month. And in the beginning, I kept crying out to God, God, how long are you gonna let this happen? Like the pressure I feel is more than I can bear. But every single time I would go into that closet and I would pray, I would hear the Lord say, 
My grace is sufficient for you. You have what you need. And he meant, and he would say it, you have what you need today. Do you have what you need? And I'd say, well, technically, I mean, I'm (laughs) under a roof. There's food in the cupboard. There's gas in the car. But God and I go out to the future. Tomorrow, tomorrow, often, tomorrow, not just, you know, the future, The next day, God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he'd say, you have what you need. You have what you need. He taught me how to trust him like never before. Pressure will reveal your foundation. And the stronger the pressure, the deeper the revelation. God, let me go deep. I pray there isn't a deeper level. I'm sure there is, and I don't. I'm not really excited about that, but I can tell you this that what God has taught me is a message I will proclaim. And this isn't just about God cares about your money. God cares about you. And he's always present, but are you present? If you're not present, your life will live in that limbo. You'll live in that space where you want God to move, but he doesn't move and you don't have the confidence and the peace. And this is what I can tell you now today in March of 2022, that living in the pinch, I am now okay with. I'm okay with things that would have crippled me before because God has revealed himself to me to be faithful. And it was only because I decided to stop being like Cain. I decided to be a worshiper, to come to him. Worship is focus. It's just focus. Where's your focus? And as men, we are ingrained and born with this thing that we got to handle it. But to me, the strongest man is one that knows that he is weak. A man that knows that he can't handle it and a man that goes to the right place. My challenge to you, my, my hope and my prayer is that Today, what you hear is, I must go to God like never before. My mandate from God is to bring his sons to him, to push his sons to him. Whatever you're dealing with, whatever the challenge is, it is irrelevant. Where you go with it is what matters. Today, many of you need to leave here, sit in your car for a second, and begin to communicate with God. Find the quiet space. Do what you've been unwilling to do. Spend time in this book. Memorize this book. Quote this book. I'd say go to the Psalms. If you're in a pressure cooker, go to the Psalms. You're going to see some guys in pressure cookers. And they speak for you. The Psalms speak on your behalf. And I've read the Psalms so many times. So many times I'd go through this and I would quote it. And I'd... Lord, you will not let me be put to shame. I can't tell you how many millions of times I said that in the last year and a half. And you know what? God is faithful. He's good. You can live in victory. You can overcome the ways you have relieved pressure that have been hurting you. And you can rise to a new place, but it is when God lifts you. When you lift yourself, you'll only lift yourself according to your own strength. But the Lord says, humble yourself and I'll lift you up. Would you bow your head, please? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your word. It is a lamp, it is our light, it is life. 
Lord Jesus, in your prayer that you taught us to pray, you said, give us today, Lord, daily bread. Bread. You are the bread. We need you daily. May we be sustained. May we be nourished. May we be satisfied by the bread that comes from your hand. May we not go find bread elsewhere, but daily find our bread in you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing what only you can do. You move on the hearts of your sons, Lord. Strengthen us to come to you. Strengthen us to be like Abel, to bring a worthy sacrifice of worship that our ego be diminished and that our dependency on you grow and that we hand the pressure to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.